0: Are you ready to take your creature game to the next level? Then come on down to the Training Ground. My name's Owen Hawker, founder and CEO of the Training Grounds, where efficiency is king. We understand that the modern mage can't spend a full turn on activated abilities. That's why at the Training Grounds, all activated abilities are 67% off. That's right, 67% off. You pay one mana, you get two free mana. With a deal this good, you could boost creatures, draw extra cards, and deal damage like never before. And for a limited time only, activated abilities that cost one blue or less are absolutely free. That's right, absolutely free. Just tell them Owen Hawker sent you to redeem your free offer. There's nothing awkward about a deal this good. One-time activation limited to once per turn cycle. Terms and conditions apply. The Training Grounds is not responsible for the targets or game rule implications of the choices taken by players in an individual game of magic. So visit the training grounds today and level up your game.
1: The Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson coming to you from the Twin Cities, and I am joined as always by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Caved In Online, Dr. Daniel Schieber. Dan, the man, what is going on?
2: Hey, I'm doing well, David. I am back in Texas, safe and sound. I was traveling last week, visiting uh, some family. We all went down for what was supposed to be a relaxing weekend, or a relaxing week, I should say, at like a beach resort in Mexico. But then we ended up getting stuck on the way back. Like I checked in to the airport, getting ready to head home, you know, feeling refreshed, and they were like, "Well, you can check in. Of course, with the volcano erupting, the flights may not happen today." Like, "What what are you talking about?" <laughs> They're like, "Oh, you know. Did I miss something like is this a <laughs> 2012 and end of the world kind of thing?" Well, it turns out that just about 40 miles out of Mexico City, which was where my flight was going through, there is an active volcano that just woke up again like 30 years ago and has been spewing chunks of ash and rock into the air. And wherever the winds blow, they have to occasionally shut down the airport. So it was a bit chaotic and ended up uh, extending the trip by a few unexpected days. But that was all right. Got to see Mexico City, which is a place that I always wanted to check out.
1: Wow, that's pretty wild. I did not know that they had an active volcano like in the middle of the city there.
2: Yeah, I had no idea either. Uh, so it's not in the city, but it's close enough that... Right,
1: but it's close enough that the debris is uh, a risk to planes?
2: Yeah, like the coating of ash just like comes over and gets on all the runways, gets on all the planes and equipment. Um, the bed and breakfast owner was telling me that they have to like shut all the windows and like clean the streets whenever that happens. Hmm. Apparently, they have like decent advanced alert systems for you know when a big eruption's going to happen it hasn't actually like had a volcanic lava eruption recently um in the last 30 years but
1: did you remember the year that they had the two volcano movies that came out at the same time remind me i forget i only i think i only saw one of them one was called volcano i think that had Pierce Brosnan in it
2: okay that i remember
1: then there was another one just like you know when they had the two asteroid movies the same year deep impact and armageddon <laughs> Like, Hollywood just, I don't know what they do. They just hear someone is, like, making a movie and, like, all right, we should rush ours to the theater and just buy some weird agglomeration effect. They'll go see it.
2: I remember the, like, the tagline for Volcano because it was so stupid. It was, like, there are at least 300 active volcanoes in the world that we know about and at least one that we don't and, like cuts to Los Angeles. <laughs> it's like, all of a sudden, just like lava is like spewing out of the streets of Los Angeles.
1: All right. So correction. Dante's peak was the um, Pierce Brosnan one. Okay. Then there was another one called volcano.
2: That's the Los Angeles one. I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that had Tommy Lee Jones and Anne Heche. RIP mm-hmm. Don Cheadle. Okay. Keith David. This That's kind of a nice cast. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones was like, look, you guys are paying in cash. Yeah, I will show up. <laughs> the 90s, was a different time because you could have guys that look like Tommy Lee Jones or like Joe Pesci. They would be like legitimate box office stars for like two or three year periods for unknown reasons.
2: That is totally fascinating. I was just thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. Like yesterday, like my, my wife just like put on the movie Speed for some reason. And like Jeff Daniels is a, like an action star in this movie. Yeah. He doesn't look like he would make it today in this day and age, but he had a great career.
1: And yeah, he could do it all. You know, he's in dumb and dumber, you know, like <laughs> yeah. all kinds of ridiculous, like humor there. And then he's in, um, squid and the whale, which is an incredible film. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, he's also street fighting Dennis <laughs> Hopper's uh, bombs.
2: Yeah, exactly. So apart from 90 cinema, what, what else been going on with you?
1: of the Dream. We had Art of World this weekend, which was like the biggest Art of World ever. After you know being off for many years because of COVID last year, the weather was terrible. This year, the weather was spectacular. Uh, I think there was like fifty or sixty thousand people in Art of World looking at the art. A uh, bunch of bands playing. The band Fastball <laughs> of '90s fame played a set at uh, Prize Brewery. That was tough. If anyone out there is gonna ever have a one-hit wonder, please, please save your money. <laughs> Do not do drugs.
2: I bought that I'm Ashamed to Say for $17.99 from Best Buy or whatever it was back then.
1: I think there were two original members. Uh, oh, I, 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 I I just it was more morbid curiosity. I didn't even care for this the fastball single when it came out back in ninety eight or whatever, but
2: now were they like a Minnesota band or were they just this was the only oh, thing no. we could land? Okay.
1: Yeah. They weren't even like the end band. <laughs> They were, they were like, there was a band after them at, and prizes for people who don't know is on the other side of the river. So they weren't even in the middle of our world. So it's just like, this is an ignominious fall from grace.
2: <laughs> is the band Soul Asylum still grinding it out at the Minnesota festivals?
1: They are. Yeah. Gr- grinding is the word. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll be playing it, you know, like <laughs> the Aquatennial they'll be playing at the, um,
2: Basilica Black Party, maybe the Lake.
1: free stage at, uh, the state fair.
2: Yeah. I mean, good for them though.
1: They were in like a 90s nostalgia tour or, you know, they were like one of you know, 20 acts like the Counting Crows. They like they open for slightly bigger 90s acts on a lot of tours.
2: I mean, that was like the soundtrack of my youth so I'm not going to hate on them at all. I appreciate the craft.
1: Runaway Train, man. <laughs> it's a great song. Misery Incorporated or whatever, that's a great song too.
2: Yeah, I mean, it got parodied by Weird Al Yankovic, so... Yeah,
1: that's it. They made it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but no, I mean, Art of World sounded great. My dad uh, sent me a bunch of pictures. I think he made it to like 400 galleries in two days, (laughs) so... he, He was busy. He was exhausted. Looked like a great time. Yeah. All right, well, from there, from the beautiful world of the art scene in Minneapolis... We can go back into the computers, upload our minds into the wonderful world of magic and magic online discourse. <laughs> what better place to spend the span of a podcast?
1: Yeah, and this week it's uh, Dan Shriver and his Element. We are talking about two new blue cards, kind of released back to back, or I guess in Mom and then Mom Aftermath. They have very similar effects. They both cost one mana. <laughs> Uh, I'm waiting to hear from you on how good Omen Hawker is in the uh, limited format before we determine if this is a true Dan uh, Schreiber masterpiece. But we're talking about Omen Hawker and Training Crowns.
2: I believe is one of the worst performing cards in the limited, like one of the biggest oh. trap cards in the limited environment.
1: Well, that'll that'll happen. <laughs> so so
2: there's that. But yeah, Omen Hawker. So Omen Hawker is from March of the Machine. This is a card that I think, at least I put it high on my list of cards I was excited for. As I was brewing up, sketching out ideas, it looked like the kind of card that was going to be more successful in Pioneer than in Modern, for various reasons. But the frustrating thing was that in Pioneer, you didn't really have that many options to duplicate the effect, right? Like, it's kind of a standalone card. We talk about the Rule of Eight. You, know, you can maybe find some backups in, like, Zerd of the Dawn Waker, or maybe Renal Weaponsmith, or Power Stones, but realistically, if you just want, like, a big mana boost towards activated abilities, Omenhawker was the only thing you could do. And then, out of nowhere, right, this March of the Machine Aftermath leak happened, and sure enough, Training Grounds, a card that's very similar to Omenhawker, printed, or reprinted, into Pioneer, so now we can do it all. We can build the Omenhawker Training Grounds deck, or we can go a different ways. We can build dedicated Training Grounds decks, dedicated Omenhawker decks. They don't have to be played together, but they could, in some cases, be stronger when paired.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually don't think they're replicative effects, and playing them together is actually really hard, because you've just put eight cards in your deck that don't exactly do the same thing, and they definitely do nothing on their own. So that, that, that was actually a challenge as I started putting decks together.
2: Yeah, so maybe it's worth doing a head-to-head. Well, we'll read the cards first, just to make sure (laughs) we're on the same page. So David, walk me through the text of these two beautiful blue
1: one-drops. Omenhawker, one blue mana, one one. Taps to make a colorless and a blue mana, and this mana can only be spent to activate abilities. Uh, It is a cephalid advisor, so the creature type does not matter. Functionally is a soul ring if you can find a use for these for the mana that it makes. It's a one-mana card that makes two mana. So that's the thing that kind of gets your brain fired up as a brewer. Dan identified this immediately. It's a very unique effect in the history of magic. At times, we've had two-mana cards that make two-mana that has to be used specifically for certain things. This is much more open-ended. Any ability, so it could be Mm -hmm. an ability on a a land, an artifact, uh, an enchantment.
2: Yeah, I think Zerda is the closest in being able to reduce any kind of activated ability, but even Zerda has restrictions. Like, Zerda can't reduce the cost of a land. So Omenhawker can actually pay for the Nykthos activation. It can pay for, like, a filter land activation.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing about Omenhawker as well is that because it is a card that has an activated ability, you can play it with Zerda. True. uh, Which is not the case for Training Grounds, and you see people run into that all the time. Well, if we thought about Zerda, well, if you're going to play Training Grounds, four of them, then you can't play Zerda, uh, but Omen Hawker is a card you can pair with Zerda if if you want. You have to make some sacrifices, but. All
2: right, so that's the Hawker. What about the Training Grounds?
1: Training Grounds one blue mana again, instant or excuse me, enchantment. Activated abilities of creatures you control cost two colorless less to activate. This effect can't reduce the mana in that cost to less than one mana.
2: All right, so that's going to reduce your generic. Mana costs in the activated ability, so the most you're going to get from it would be something that you know. Let's say it costs two colorless and one colored pip. Something like that would suddenly you get a massive discount, right? It would only cost you one colored pip.
1: Yeah, that's a sweet spot where you're maximizing that two colorless. You're reducing it down to exactly one mana, which is the most it can reduce it to, whether it be a colorless mana or a colored mana. And then in theory, this ability that they've priced out at three mana that you're getting for one mana is making up for the fact you've spent. A turn playing an enchantment that doesn't do anything.
2: And that's how with the rub, right? Like it doesn't do anything. And even if it does something, it's it's not totally clear that you're getting your card worth out of it because like right. these activated abilities tend to be overpriced. They tend to not be the main reason you play these cards. A card like um what's the spirit? The one-one spirit, spectral sailor, right? Like yep. that that one, you played as a one-one flyer, you can occasionally pay four to draw. Do you want to play Training Grounds to draw faster? Well, maybe, but even then, it's still like two mana to draw. It's not it's not necessarily a great plan. On the other hand, maybe there's a card that, you know, it's a creature that has an activated ability that's like a two mana ability and Training Grounds gives you a one mana discount. Like, is that even worth it? Or is it just better to just not worry about the Training Grounds and just play the creature as is?
1: Yeah, because the Training Grounds cost a mana. The... Turn you play it as well, so it has to be reducing, you know, by more than that just to get that mana back.
2: So it's a little bit troubling that training grounds has been legal and modern forever and it's done literally nothing the entire time. Maybe like there was once a combo deck with L'Adrazi Displacer that tried using it, but it barely is published. It's a card that has been so expensive because it's a casual hit and it's a unique effect that it's it's almost just like was never worth paying the $50 a copy to brew around. So there's there's not that much known about training grounds in modern, but moving to Pioneer, a smaller card pool, perhaps more forgiving. Um, and with some new printings, maybe there's a chance, this is my, I hope anyway, that training grounds can finally break through. Maybe with the help of Omenhawker, or maybe not.
1: Yeah, I will say way back in the day, there was a super fringe, and this isn't even like tier, you know, Zed. There was a super cool. There's a um. The blue red guild mage could copy a spell for two and a blue.
2: Yes, that's right.
1: So I, I built a super sweet modern deck, and I think a couple people like five out at various points where you'd reduce the cost to one, and then you'd copy Manamorphole, so you draw your whole deck and make infinite mana, and that was that was super sick.
2: Right. That's the the original, is it, Guild Mage? Like the first of yep. the Guild Mages where they had... Yes,
1: from from Ravnica, original Ravnica.
2: Hybrid costs in them. Yep. And that again is at the sweet spot where its activated ability was two generic plus yep. a colored pip. So you lop off the two generic.
1: Yeah, two in a red to copy an instant and two and a blue to copy a sorcery or vice versa. I can't remember which one. So you just cast Mana with three mana up, copy it on the stack, make two mana, copy again. So you're getting a mana of any color. You draw your whole deck and do whatever you needed to do. And you could play. There's a uh, blue blue counter non creature spell that uh, you can uh, spend one blue blue to uh, discard it and search two to your library for a two mana cost. So it could find either piece, it could find the Metamorphos or the Guild Mage.
2: Oh, Muddle the Mixture.
1: Yeah, Muddle the Mixture. And Muddle the Mixture was a two mana spell you could copy. So you could like Muddle the Mixture their spell, they counter back, and then you like copy it with it on the stack. Oh my gosh. That deck was sweet. You can't do that anymore. I mean.
2: Would you believe me if I told you there's a metal mixture in one of the decks we're going to talk about later today?
1: I saw it. That's, (laughs) that's, I was just like, oh man, someone's bringing it back.
2: And it's also in the Rebecca Gay secret layer, which is currently for sale. And I usually don't mention these things, but it includes Stoneforge Mystic, which is a card that like I've been thinking about buying for a long time. And if you want them, you can buy them at a decent price through the secret layer. Doing my part for Hasbro.
1: <laughs> Faithless brewing finance has spoken. <laughs>
2: exactly. Alright, so the head-to-head. So as David said, they're they're not exactly the same card. Actually, they diverge in significant ways. But the mana cost is the same. Could easily put them in the same deck. Yes. Both great on turn one. The Hawker, of course, being a creature, it's going to be fragile. It's going to need to untap. The training grounds is somewhat more resilient. That's less true in modern than in Pioneer, but in Pioneer it's probably gonna survive. It's a little bit better on turns two, three, four, because you know you don't have to worry about it surviving a turn to do its thing. You can just slam it. It can potentially give you the mana back immediately by you know, reducing some cost you are about to pay anyway. The Hawker works with so many more cards than training grounds. So many more. Activated abilities, yeah, there are actually plenty of them that do see play in already in constructed decks. And that's kind of where you want to be as a brewer, right? You want to be dealing with cards that are like already good enough, that just get better with the um, knucklehead card we're trying to put in. And Omenhawker has plenty of cards like that. You know, like Reckoner Bankbuster, for example. Perfectly good card. Great card in some scenarios. Works beautifully with Omenhawker. Um, a Land, like uh, Otawara or something else. Or Hollow Storm Giants. All of these can feed off the Omenhawker they don't do anything with training grounds. With training grounds, you're looking at like very specialized creatures with activated abilities, and almost none of them. Like we'll talk about some of them, but almost none of them are current staples of the metagame. Training grounds, as we mentioned, is only going to reduce generic mana cost. The hawker can provide blue mana. Um, the training grounds can never go less than one mana. The hawker can pay for something entirely. It can be a pure soul ring, and the hawker is only once per turn, or twice if you have Tyvar. The Training Grounds is repeatable, so it, the ceiling is a little bit higher there. It does function better within certain loops. Um, so I mentioned the Eldrazi Displacer loop, where you're flopping two men off that cost, now you can blink something for just one colorless every time. What would that be? It would be like the 4-drop the that makes Eldrazi Scions, Eyeless Watcher, something like that. Yep, That's a combo. Yep. Uh, Drowner of Hope. Also works within that combo. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about a new combo you can do with Training Grounds that uses Drafna and Mox Amber. So, yeah, Training Grounds loops in ways that Omen Hawker doesn't. Um, but in general, I think we could say that every Training Grounds deck could potentially consider the Omen Hawker, right? Because every Training Grounds eligible creature will also benefit from the Hawker. Correct. That's not true in reverse. Correct. So we will see some Omenhawker decks that just don't want the training grounds at all. Correct. All right. Anything else uh, we should know about these two before we look at some lists?
1: Um No, I think you I think you covered it.
2: All right, so I had a big research document on Omenhawker and I I just I don't know where it is anymore. I lost it
1: somewhere. <laughs> you wrote a thesis statement. <laughs> I,
2: I did. So I was like, getting these notes together, I'm like, well, I don't need to redo this search, because I'm sure I did this.
1: Wouldn't it have been, like, you should find find the week that Omenhawker got spoiled. I feel like that's where you had a lot of your notes.
2: Maybe. Did yeah, you check I, I found the deck list that I sketched up from that search. They were horrible. I did not find the actual list of cards itself.
1: Oh. Okay. It's a shame.
2: I did find a list of cards that work specifically with training grounds, and this is a much smaller list, and it's like... Some decent stuff on here uh I'll mention cards like fiend artisan Gretchen Titch Willow, Walking Ballista, Spectral Sailor, Duskwatch recruiter um I mean, you can kind of see like these cards are sort of fine, they've been played, but they're not they're not great. I think the ones that are the most interesting are the one drops, so here we have options like concealing curtains, Knight of the Ebon Legion, um maybe Ashnod, the flesh mechanist. It's gonna be tricky. Like you're gonna to have to like take a take a leap of faith on some of these creatures, but we'll see how that all looks in the decks. So, with that, David, let's go start in Pioneer first. Tell me what you've been brewing up here.
1: Yeah, so you shared a tweet for me from Pascal Maynard, um, former uh, Magic Pro Canadian, Canadian, <laughs> and he said he had been tooling around a lot with Omen Hawker. Um, Reckoner Bankbuster with Zerda lists. And one of the things he was playing was like 27 lands because Omenhawker, as you pointed out, works really well with a lot of these utility lands. So, works very good with Field of Ruin. Works very good with Castle Vantress. Works very good with Odawara and Igonjo. um, Can cycle your lands. Hall of Storm Giants can activate uh, creature lands. So, he has a list and he said, this is kind of as far as I could get it. So, his list has... Four Omen Hawker, four Reckoner, Bank Buster, uh, a bunch of two mana counterspells, um, Neutralize, which is kind of a cool counterspell with Omen Hawker, because it can cycle it. Um, Sunfall, which is a five mana the be- the <laughs> powerful limited uh sweeper. Uh 4 Shark Typhoon, which is kind of a cool card with Omen Hawker. Um so sort of a control shell that's playing like 4 Omen Hawker as this like soul ring effect. And he said this is kind of as far as I could get it. I've, you know, three two, I've four one, I've two three, I've tooled around, and here's kind of where I'm at. And he sort of encouraged people to take the next step. So you shared that list with me. I thought it was really cool. I hadn't really considered it. Um, and so I was like, well, if we're playing 27 lands anyway, because we're trying to take advantage of Omen Hawker and we're using our like Odawaras as spells, one of the things we like to do when we're playing 27, 28 lands is to play Lotus Field. Lotus Field has kind of a two pronged effect. One, I think it, can turbocharge our deck because you can get your like lotus field into Teferi draws the other thing is that nimble obstructionist is a card that you can cycle on turn two with Mm -hmm. your omen hawker to uh counter the lotus field trigger so your nut draw if your opponent does nothing Mm -hmm. your opponent is on red white convoke right we play omen hawker they play thraven inspector which should be banned apparently according to some people Then we can play Lotus Field, cycle Nimble Obstructionist, because Omen Hawker taps for two mana in our land that plays Omen Hawker as the third. We draw a card, we prevent the Lotus Field uh, trigger from making a sack two lands, and then on our next turn we get to untap with five mana. Um, Thespian Stage, if we're playing Lotus Field already is a one of, is interesting. That has an activated ability that Omen Hawker gets to copy. Um, I'm still keeping the four of Reckoner Bankbuster, I really like that. Uh, I went up to four sensor. Sensor is I. I just disagree with people. I. I just think sensor is better than make disappear, uh, and especially if we're going to play four Omenhawker. I mean, if we, if we get to cycle it for free, that's awesome. Um, I have a one up to fairy. That should probably be another Nimble Attractions or something. I like Vizier of Tumbling Sands. It's a cool card to cycle with Lotus Field. It's like a super um, Manamorphose. Right. It's it makes a mana and draws a card. Well, with Omenhawker, Omenhawker gets to just tap. As an actual mana dork, uh, and draw a card with with Viseer. Um, you just tap a land and then you tap Omen Hawker and Viseer untap the land if you want, or if you know you can use the Omen Hawker's ability, the Viseer can untap Omen Hawker. So, I think that's actually like really interesting to me. Uh, there's maybe a version of this that goes up to like the full four Nimble Obstructions, the full four Viseers. Teferi, uh, like I said, is a card that pays us off for Lotus Field. We are playing these, this control deck. The 4-mana Teferi was really only interesting because I found it to be really good with Reckoner Bankbuster and um, the 1-3 that taps to make 2-mana for Artifacts. You just get to, like, cruise or your Reckoner Bankbuster so fast. But maybe in this deck you don't need it, I don't know. And then, you know, 4-Shark Typhoon, I think that's a must with Omenhawker. So, similar shell, just, just basically, like, adding Lotus Field as, like, outs to go large because... If we're totally honest with ourselves, Omenhawker is going to die every time. <laughs> it's just not gonna live. So building your deck around Omenhawker completely is is tough as you as you pointed out, Dan. It does not have replicative effects.
2: So to clarify, you are playing four copies of five mana teferi, the hero of Dominaria. Yeah. And oh yeah. you're playing one of, of the four mana teferi who is Teferi who slows the sunset, who can untap lands, artifacts, and creatures all-in-one shot
1: yeah and I'm, I'm thinking i maybe wouldn't do that i i don't think omen hawker's gonna live so i actually would just maybe be out on that
2: i do kind of like how it's the only creature in the deck right like removal is not super good against this deck so game one you each just have what you have but in games two and three like if you're the opponent how much removal are you going to leave in like are you actually going to leave in cards just to kill the omen hawkers
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's fun to imagine this thing. And if I got to sit in the room with my opponent while they pondered that fact, that would be interesting. But (laughs) in game one, I'm going to play it. It's going to die. So I'm going to turn on their fatal pushes, which a normal blue-white deck would never do. Uh, And then you'll still have all the problems of a normal blue-white deck. So uh, I I actually think you've significantly harmed your game one chances uh, to to do this.
2: Hmm. So the other thing that makes this list attractive is that there's not really that many... Bad cards, right? And this is more true of the Pascal Menard list where he's, he's not even risking the Lotus Field. He's just playing more or less proven blue white cards, but he he found room for the Bank Busters, which you typically wouldn't see four of those in blue white, and the Omen Hawker itself. The rest of the cards are all fine. The fact that Shark Typhoon is a fine four of in a blue white control deck that also is super explosive with the Hawker, right? Turn one Hawker lets you make a 2 2 shark immediately on turn two drawing a card and it just gets better and better the later you go so i think like the fact that the the payoffs for the hawker are already reasonable control cards is what makes this a very promising shell he's even got a on the sideboard
1: yeah so i kept that idea i would typically not play the same removal suite i would play a couple one mana white uh, artifacts i would play portable hole i think it's the best white cheap removal spell um, I don't have that in this list right now to preserve Zerda, but I just don't believe in Zerda, so if you told me to, like, optimize this list, I'd probably just play, like, two or three of them, which just think it's a really important card. You know, for Bankbuster, it's a fine card. I guess it might get banned in Standard. No deck plays for Bankbusters, so I think that's a little bit of a question mark, too. Like, after they kill your first turn Omenhawker, um, your Bankbuster is... Like if you draw a second bankbuster, you're just so hosed. <laughs> you're just not gonna have the time to um use it. So that's why I'm hoping the like mana push from Lotus Field, like you have your Teferi, you plus it, you draw, now all of a sudden you get to like activate your bankbusters, you know, at the end of every turn if you don't have counter magic or whatever. So
2: Yeah. No, it's an interesting direction to go to try to like juice up the list from where Pascal Minor left it. It's reminding me a little bit of, you know, talking about bankbuster. Back in our, our shark week, you know, you had been doing a lot of work over many months on renowned weaponsmith as like a mana engine. And you can put Hawker in the same bucket with the weaponsmith. You can put Tazeret 4 in there, and now you have like all these cards that generate special mana towards artifact, casting artifacts or activating their abilities, and like Bankbuster can be a payoff there. So there there is something there. I know you proposed some shark lists along those lines.
1: Yeah, and if you wanted to go all in on Bankbuster, I think that's what you should do. Like play a couple of the four mana fairies, play four Omen Hawker, and yeah, play four Weaponsmith. Maybe you play like four of the uh, one one um, dude that gets plus one plus one, whenever an artifact enters play, and you just like you just try to play a mid range list, and then maybe you have like you're still playing a little bit of the counter magic suite because I do think Omen Hawker is really good with like the the natu- neutralize like, Sensor Package. Hmm. But yeah, you still need to play 4 Shark Typhoon. Uh, I don't know. Like, going going more into these creatures that are very fragile as your mana source is just... It leaves you vulnerable to certain things and obviously leaves you better off against other things.
2: Did you see, David, there was a Zerta deck in the 5 O's last week? Can you guess what it was?
1: <laughs> no. Uh, Lotus Field?
2: It was... Sultai-Rona combo, but they just happen to be Azurda-compatible, so they had no red mana, no white mana. It was just like you can put a loot fodder into your hand from the companion zone.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Good job on companion design, Wizards.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so from there we go into the speculative waters of combos with Omenhawker and Training Grounds. So I mentioned at the top... Eldrazi Displacer combo, but we got a new combo. Brand new combo.
1: Yeah, so I didn't even bother proposing. Like, we all can imagine what the Eldrazi Displacer combo deck would look like. Um, people have tried it. I'm, I'm not going to propose it because I, I know I'm not going to play it. So, Omenhawker, 4-of. Training Grounds, 4-of. Reckoner Bankbuster, 4-of still. I think you kind of need that to, like, get a card out of your Omenhawker, hopefully early. For Patchwork Automaton. So, the theory I had here is, like, Patchwork Automaton is kind of like our Tarmogoyf in our combo deck. Where even if they kill our combo pieces, the automaton at least puts pressure on them on the board. So the the thought is, with with a training grounds in play, Draftna's ability to return artifacts uh, to your hand costs one blue. Well, Mox Amber taps for a blue with Draftna in play. So you have infinite amount of artifact castings, if you want it, with those two cards in play. So you can do that as early as turn two. Infinite Artifact Castings either means you can untap your Rona an infinite amount of times. It means you can trigger a Patchwork Automaton an infinite amount of times. Um, or if you have an altar of the Brood in play, you can mill out your opponent. So we have a 1 of Ultra of Brood in play because if we set up this combo with Rona, Rona lets us basically like filter through our deck, find our second Mox Amber to get that one turn boost, and put the altar of Brood in play, complete our combo, combo them. Uh, everything else is just cheap legend. So, for Drafna, for Kinnon, Kinnon sort of doubles up on that. So, with a Kinnon and a Drafna in play, Mox Amber taps for two and it can bounce uh, with the um, Drafna ability. So, it sort of simulates the training ground. Sort of, you have a rule of eight there, if you want to think of it that way. We have a Patchwork Crawler, which is a card that can have its ability. It allows you for two and a blue to exile a creature from your graveyard and then it copies the activated abilities that, that creature had. So, Patchwork Crawler lets you copy Drafna if they were rude enough to kill it. And so it gets it lets you do the combo another way. Um, I have Karn in here as our sort of like mana sink, where we have the a one of Alter, a one of Mox, Amber, in the sideboard. You could also play um, the Adventure Fairy, because all these cards are non-creatures, if you didn't want to play Karn.
2: Oh, Fae of Wishes.
1: Yeah, you could play Fae of Wishes as well. I don't know which is better.
2: I'm just going to read Draftna in case you're not familiar with the card. It's 1 and a blue, 2-1 Legend. It has two activated abilities. The first one costs 1 and a blue. It says, return target artifact you control to its owner's hand. So that's how we're going to do this loop. We're going to keep using that over and over again with the Mox Amber. It has a second activated ability that requires tapping. It's 3 and tap, copy target artifact you spell you control. That's an artifact spell on the stack that you're casting. The copy will become a token. That actually has its own little combo with uh, Ugin's Nexus. Uh, It's like a little hard to set up, it's pretty mana intensive. But the idea is, if you're casting an Ugin's Nexus, activate Drafna's second ability to copy the Ugin's Nexus before it resolves. You get a bonus Ugin's Nexus. They both come into play, legend rule, you lose the token. You're going to get the extra turn as long as you can get rid of the first Ugin's Nexus. So you actually then use Drafna's first ability to put the original Ugin's Nexus back into your hand. So, does that actually have a place in this list, is my question, like that second combo?
1: Well, you could just put it as a one-of in your sideboard for Karn. I would not, I would not main deck Ugin's Nexus, <laughs> Okay. If, it is that, if that's what you're asking me.
2: No, no, I'm just curious, because I've seen like different approaches that are all in on that combo. It seems significantly worse, yeah. I
1: mean, the thing that I'd be more interested in is like turn 1, Train Grounds, turn 2, Drafna, turn 3, Cast, Patchwork Automaton... Copy it with Drafnir, then you can go infinite with Mox Amber. You have two uh, infinite power Patchwork Automatons on turn three that also have Ward.
2: That's interesting. I mean, I I see the thought process there, and I'm gonna to try to hold my biases about Patchwork at bay for a second. But the problem is that like if that's your fourth combo piece, it's not a guaranteed kill, and that's what is giving me a lot of pause. Like there are other cards that are a little more guaranteed. Right, so you need a Mox, a Giraffna, and either Training Grounds or Kinnon. So it's a three-piece combo to make the loop happen, and then your fourth piece is the payoff. What if we just, like, focus on payoffs that, like, for sure or probably kill them? Like, you have the Altar here, you could do—what uh, else could you do? You could do Sai Master Thopterist, you could do Teething Wormlet for Infinite Life, you could do Diligent Excavator to mill them out—
1: yeah, I guess to me, so the problem is okay, those are infinite kills if they don't do anything, but the a 1-3 mil, that mills them doesn't do anything. The the 1-4 also is not an infinite kill, because you give them a chance to sweep. Mm-hmm. Um teething wormlet getting infinite life is the absolute opposite of a combo that kills somebody. Um <laughs> I could see playing a teething wormlet in this list. But you know, like you have four Karns, so you ha- you have the ability to fetch artifacts that Allow you to win the game, or like I said, if you want, if you wanted to play the fairy, um, you could play uh, any other random non-creature uh, spell that allows you to combo win. But like even just patchwork with Draftna, no combo piece. Like for each blue mana you have up, you get to give Patchwork Automaton a permanent plus one plus one. Hmm. If you have a Mox Amber.
2: True. True. Yeah, I mean draftna by itself is like kind of interesting card.
1: Also, we have Lair of the Hydra just as another card that lets us use infinite mana to kill them if we if we manage to generate infinite mana.
2: So one sideways combo that is worth mentioning is that we, we described Kinnon and tra- Training Grounds as duplicative effects, but they do actually combine to produce an additional combo. So if you have both a Training Grounds and a Kinnon, plus your mocks and your draftna you've generated infinite mana now because the Kinnon is now gaining you a mana every time you do the loop. Yes. With the infinite mana, you activate Kinnon's ability infinite times. So as long as somewhere in your deck you have a non-human card that wins off infinite mana, that's like another way to kill them. Um, and just looking at your list here, I believe Gretchen can do that. Is that correct?
1: Or... Um, I guess in the sense that she lets you draw your deck and find Karn.
2: You'll make infinite, you'll activate Kinnon, you can find Gretchen, you can find Patch... Meh. Yeah, if you want to win this turn, I think Gretchen does it.
1: Yeah, because then, then Gretchen lets you use the infinite mana to draw your whole deck. Okay. And then you play Karn.
2: Nightmare to activate all this on, online, but it would work in paper.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I think you need to lock in, at least for this shell, the Training Grounds, the Rona, the Kinnan, and the Draftna. And then I, I do think the Patchwork Crawler is worthwhile. And then the, the Three Mox Amber, if you want to play the Fairy or not. And then do you want to play Hawker Bankbuster or not? I kind of think of that, again, as sort of our, like, Tarmogoyf, like, fair plan when they stop our combo. It's really good against the kind of hate pieces people bring in against the, like, Rona combo that exists. And we've seen the Saltai-Rona combo struggle, and then uh, Todd Anderson, Tandy MTG online, and all the people working on it, they're always adding in all these Tarmogoyf-like cards, right? They're adding in... Um, the 1-3 bird that connives, they're adding in the Sultai rat that lets them, like, rebuy legendaries from their graveyard. They're trying to find a fair plan where they can kind of attack once the opponent attacks the combo. So maybe it isn't Patchwork Automaton, maybe it isn't Hawker, or Reckoner, or Bankbuster, but we've seen that this combo l- lends itself to being disruptible, and so you need a quote-unquote fair plan that lets you grind a little bit.
2: Yeah, it's worth mentioning here that Rona herself can be a Tarmogoyf, and this deck is much better at that than the standard Rona combo. Like, you can flip Rona for either 3 mana or 1 mana in this deck. Yes. That's not going to help you against Fatal Push, but it will help you against burn spells. I mean, it's just a monster against burn. The 5-5 five five yeah. is just absolutely a monster. The Bank is, like you're saying, that can be an attacker. I would actually consider Reality Chip. I think that's actually a really important card. For decks like this, specifically because it works with Mox Amber, so it makes the Amber a real card, but it also is just like great with Omen great with Training Grounds, and gets you through those weird clumps of air. So maybe like a mix of Bankbusters and Reality Chips.
1: Yeah, and of course you can always put an extra Bankbuster in your Karn board. You can put an extra Reality Chip in your Karn board, so you can sort of have like duplicative effects. If Karn is not going to find a win condition, maybe it just finds your Bankbuster, etc.
2: All right. So that's a draft and a combo list utilizing in both training grounds and Omen Hawker.
1: All right, then the next list is a blue-black splashing green just for Tybar list that plays Omen Hawker. So the, the cards that Omen Hawker works well with are Concealing Curtains, Hive of the Eye Tyrant, Odawara, and then Maze Mind Tome. So we've played a Soul Diviner Maze Mind Tomeless in the past. And the problem is that Tome is only really good with Soul Diviner. So Omen Hawker kind of takes that to the next level. It lets you play Tome and activate it on the next turn. Uh, you have the ability to control your counters on the Tome. So if you need the life, you can kind of get it all the way to the end as fast as possible. If you don't need the life, uh, Soul Diviner can keep removing counters to draw cards, and then Omen Hawker can keep putting counters back on. Tyber lets us atap- activate all those cards at instant speed and untap them. So basically, like, each time you're untapping these guys, you're getting a full card out of it. Concealed Curtains is a cool card that you found, Dan. So we can go turn one Omenhawker, turn two Concealed Curtains, and then flip it. So it's like a duplicative Thoughtseize effect. So we've got eight ways to attack, like Unfair Hands, and we can do it quite quickly. Um, Jace French Prodigy is a card that lets us, in theory, double up on our Thoughtseize Fatal Push. Also, we don't have that many cards that have tokens for Soul Diviner. So Jace the Planeswalker is another way that we can... Um, find ways for Soul Diviner to tap, then I have a uh, suite of two mana removal spells, basically. So it's like a super low to the ground blue blacklist, and we just kind of wreck our mana because Tyvar is so perfect with everything that we're doing.
2: Yes, the last time I played a version of this, it must have been when Tyvar was first printed, right? And you'd drawn up a different yep. version. The deck yep. was super fun. It was so much fun. It was almost like right on the cusp of not having enough of each bucket of thing like the soul diviner needs cards with counters on them and here we have 12 cards right you have four tyvar four Mind tome and then if we count jace the backside of jace has tokens so like only 12 to enable your soul diviners here we're adding another thing omen honker which you have curtains tome maybe some of the lands if we count those so like again we're like right at the edge of like not being able to actually get our our value worth and it's tricky because like when it worked so good, when it's getting busted up by just like the stream of removal from Rakdos or something, it, it doesn't feel good. That'd be a concern I would have even more so for this version. Like, I, I want to love it, but I'm just like worried that it's gonna get busted up too easily by removal. The other concern I would have is that like it's not totally clear how you win. Like you you do draw a million cards, but it takes a while to actually kill them, especially since Maze Mind Home is is not think buster right like it doesn't ever become a creature <laughs> true so we have the one children here that will hopefully kill them before we deck ourselves but i was just wondering if we should like add more fats like maybe just put ronas in they're pretty good with tyvars they flip decently with omen hawkers they get fats uh, i don't know what you would cut for them if you cut jace but then you're losing out on your counters
1: yeah, it's a fair point. Um, I guess the other card I would consider is the um, the Black 1-2 Vampire. Uh, it works well with Omenhawker, and it gets plus 1, plus 1 counters if they take 4 damage, or you take 4 damage, I guess, if you mm-hmm. want to hurt yourself. Um, so that's that's actually kind of a cool card uh, with Hawker. So Omenhawker basically taps for the two colorless parts, so it's easy to pay the first trigger. Uh, and then once it has the first plus 1, plus 1 counters, Soul Diviner can turn that into uh, cards.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. I forgot that that works with the... Okay.
1: So maybe just, like, cut the four Jaces and play those instead. Mm. The problem is you just, like, you don't want to play too many aggro-y cards because you're just not... If you're playing Omenhawker, you're not an aggro deck. So, like, I've, I've seen a lot of people, like, propose Omenhawker then every other card's, like, aggressive. Like, Omenhawker does not fit in these shells. You want to get a lot of out of that mana and you want to accrue your value uh, out of it. So I think you want to have a deck that can use that mana every turn, but if you're trying to end the game quickly, then you don't, I don't think Omen Hawker's a card you want in your deck.
2: Well, thinking along those lines, I do want to propose a list. Let me jump down a little bit in our outline here. So the the last pioneer list that I have in this plan is one that I was thinking about that exact problem. Like what about the vampire, the Knight of the Ebon Legion we're talking about? That seems really good, right? Like that was something that, you know, I think we first explored that, in our uh youtube show with with wizards of the coast like when zerda was still didn't have a companion tax and i put that in like a recto deck with Fiendars and it was so sweet to just pump the Knight for one mana per activation so like what if you had training grounds omen hawker sure let's get that in there too and then the entire rest of your deck is just creatures that benefit from this like mid-range aggro mid-range creatures so concealing curtains night of the ebon legion four of each I'm going to play Captive Weird. I think that card is like actually potentially a big sleeper. It's a a one drop. It's a defender. But for either three mana and a Phyrexian, right? So three and two life. You flip it into a three, three that draws a card. And if you are only paying one mana for that, because you either have the Omen Hawk or you have the Training Grounds, it's actually a pretty amazing rate. Like one to cast, one to flip and draw a card. I think that could be like the missing piece for this strategy. So I have Captive Weird, Concealing Curtains, Knight of the Legion, Hypnotic Grifters, kind of a forgotten card. It's a one-drop that connives for three, but if it's conniving for one, it's actually pretty attractive. Uh, so that's like 14 creatures that I'll call them aggro. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Um, add two mana, couple of reality chips, four Surge Engine. Not a card that's particularly strong, but if any card can make that work, I think omen hucker being able to pay for that blue Will make Surge Engine succeed in a way that like Tezzeret couldn't do, and then just thought these and push however many lands you want to play.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like that this gets rid of the green, um, which is attractive, and yeah, it's at least worth trying. You know, I think um, I saw aspiring Spike playing a similar, although not identical, list today, mm-hmm. and I think he just went O two one two and uh, quit both of his leagues. But you're playing a... I, I do think I agree with you that for this type of shell to work, I actually love the captive weird. Um, I think the card is... Um, with these cards is the kind of card you need to play, right? It turns into a kind of a threat and it replaces itself. So I actually I actually really like the captive weird. I'm not like in love with the grifter. I, you know, the Rona, I could take or leave and search engine is, is pretty bad um so i think we'd want to play a little bit more interaction Do we, mm. is there a creature that has an activated ability that kills something
2: there ought to be right like,
1: like black <laughs> black x like target creature gets minus x minus x or something I, i'm just I, I don't know what it would be
2: i hope so i haven't searched for it yet but yeah that that should exist let's just say there is okay so we'll cut the search engines put that <laughs> hypothetical creature in
1: but yeah, I I, I like the Knight uh, of Ebon Legion, Concealed Curtains, Uh, Captive Weird. Like, one of the things Aspiring Spike was doing was playing Pack Rat, mm. and I think that's just like a too many things have to go right. Like, it's only good with just Training Grounds, and then you're kind of all in. Like, you don't get to keep all your other interaction. And so I think replacing that with a card like Captive Weird is actually like, of course we know... <laughs> uh pack rat was a Terra and standard etc but like a card like captain weird is actually better i think it gets up to three three without a huge mana investment it survives stomp um it can threaten planeswalkers early can block profitably and it replaces itself and in a deck like this that has a bunch of pieces that suck without other cards the ability to like churn through your deck is actually really important
2: yeah, so that's the hope. I haven't uh, I haven't checked out Spike's Leagues yet, but I know that uh Bo Courier, who's Matt Camo, is experimenting with something similar that he'd been posting in our Faithless Brewing Discord. I hope there's something here. That'll be a mid-range take, cutting as much synergy as possible to just have like reasonable creatures. Alright, so let's let's go back now back up to something that is a little more combo focused. Specifically, we're we're setting draft now aside. We're now looking at wizard class combo, baby. <laughs> Tell me about the wizard class combo, David.
1: Yeah, so this is actually a combo that you pointed out. So Omenhawker on turn one, uh, wizard class on turn two, and then you get to active. You get to pay for the second ability. Um, so you you have four mana to spend. This fully uses it. So you get to have no maximum hand size. That doesn't matter. You get to draw two. That's cool. And you're close, because the next turn, if you play a land, you can activate the Wizard Class final ability, which says whenever you draw a card, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. So, okay, that's fine. You've advanced through the Wizard Class, (laughs) but that doesn't do anything. Benthic Biomancer plus Wizard Class lets you draw your whole deck, which is super, super awesome. Um, Or draw as much of your deck as you choose if you have another creature to target. Um, Or no, it's, it's a May, right? For Benthic Biomancer?
2: I believe so. Let me just check on that. Uh no, it's not a me. Okay, it's not a me, so you do need to stop at some point. Right.
1: Alright, well that's that's fair enough. Um <laughs> So, yeah, whatever. You put your last plus one plus one count on the Omenhawk or... So, okay, that, that's an interesting package. And then Benthic Biomancer's ability to get a plus one plus one costs exactly one in blue, which is what Omenhawker taps for. So, Omenhawker works very well with both sides of those combo. And the problem we had with that combo is not that the cards are individually weak. I mean, Benthic Biomancer's a little weak. Wizard's class is clunky. But it was just that they were so mana intensive. So, Omenhawker actually kind of fixes that. It provides you a bunch of this mana and you're just looking for something to do. And it also gives you a ton of card selection, right? Like, Part of leveling up our wizard class so we can do our combo is we get to draw two cards. Part of um, activating Benthic Biomancer is that we get to loot. Um, so we, we have this like shell built in. And then I think it works very well with the sort of Rona Mox Amber Retraction Helix. Because mm. both of those things allow you to deck yourself. Uh, Rona lets you do it if you have an Unctus in play. Among other things. And so you just can play a couple of Thassa's Oracles that you can loot to or draw to as you're, you know, flying for your deck with your Benthic Biomancer combo or your Rona. And at the end of it all, you just you're still winning the same way, which is which is specifically Thassa's Oracle.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. So it's a mashup of a known combo, the Rona combo, and a combo that I mean exists, but it's not really not a good combo. The Wizard class combo. The Mox Ambers seem like a little bit weak on average but you know they make sense you need to have them for the rona combo and you, you do have a decent amount of support between onctus the reality chip jace and rona what's surprising is everything i mentioned so far is blue right so like this is mono blue right that's my assumption and yet we we see that you're going for the interaction routes so you're splashing black for push and thought sees
1: yeah and splashing is like the other thing is the black splash is basically free. Um, I don't. We're playing a single swamp. Every other land can make blue. I guess Takanuma. So, you know, I, you need to play some kind of interaction. I guess you could do it in blue, right? You could play counter magic, uh, but I, I, think Thought Season push are just they're cheap. They're efficient. Your deck can play very few lands. We only have twenty lands here. Um, you have the ability to loot away the cards that you don't like, which is awesome. Like Jace and Rona both just give you a ton of selection. Uh, you know, the second wizard class, right, is not that useful. Um, uh, the thoughts are bad-insert matchups, pushes are bad-insert matchups, extra Mox Ambers might not be useful, etc. Uh, then, plus you have, like, Unctus plus all these looters, right? Like, Rona, mm-hmm. play Unctus, like, super loot, find a Mox Amber, untap Rona, do it again. Like, you just saw most of your tech somehow.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's very intriguing. It almost makes me want, like, some graveyard value of some kind. I don't know that's supposed to be a delve card or like something that just like activates from the graveyard. Cause we're going to be discarding a bunch of cards.
1: True. And it'd be easy enough to put, you know, a dig through time or something in here or a couple of them.
2: Right. So that is a wizard class combo with a light splash for black interaction. I do think there is an actual, a missed opportunity. If you are going to play the second color, it means that your mana base cannot support Nykthos. Now, the deck that you've described does not need Nykthos, but that seems like one of the most intriguing power-ups for Omenhawker. Omenhawker by itself pays for all of Nykthos's activation, so it, it lets Nykthos uh, tap for three if we count the Devotion Pip, right? It's like better than having two Lenore Elves. This is, this is a theory, at least, and this is something that only Omenhawker can do, right? Other <laughs> Zerda doesn't True. do this, Training Grouse doesn't do this. It's so tantalizing, and again, I'm going to I'm gonna shout out this amazing article from friend of the show, LAA11. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, but he's got a sub stack where he wrote all about blue devotion packages and what Omenhawker could do in them, because he was very excited about the potential of, okay, what, what if Nykthos with Omenhawker is just like an amazing mana engine? He talked about the theory behind the deck. He talked about the core packages you can swap in and out, the changes over time, like how... It, you know, different cards like Master of Waves, Gadwick, became more or less important over time as the metagame shifted, and he even drew up like four different lists at the end, like four different brews that all combine different Monopoly Devotion packages with Leyline, excuse me, with Omenhawker, with Nykthos. What am I talking about? Well, it could be the Leyline of Anticipation, it could be the Risen Reef package, which works amazingly with Master of Waves. It could be a combo with Unctus. So there's a lot of different ways you could win once you're doing the devotion thing. Uh, He's got a wizard class version in here with uh, Benthic Biomancers. So I definitely encourage everyone to check this out. If you're at all interested in Omenhawker um, and Nyctos, we'll put another link in the show notes, and it's definitely worth a careful read.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many ideas here, right? You could spend a lot of time exploring each of these lists because they're all different, right? They mm-hmm. they have different strengths, different weaknesses. They're they're playing like actually pretty different suite of cards, which makes them like you know you could you could try out a whole list, uh, play multiple leagues with it, tweak it, etc. Decide you like it or don't, and you still have a bunch more to find out because each each of these lists it looks like they actually play out quite differently.
2: Yeah, and. We got some screenshots from LAA11 in our Discord. I think he went 4 and one with the Risen Reef version in his first attempt. I'm not sure if he's still trying these or if he's moved on to other projects. But I'm curious, like one thing that is not in this article that I think might be worth exploring is, do you remember, David, the Blue Defiler? The Defiler of something in sight? I do. It draws a card whenever...
1: A Blue Permanent enters play?
2: Right. And it allows you to pay Phyrexian for up to one blue pip. Correct. So what you could do, it's it's a five-minute creature, but if, if you have that, you could, in theory, just like chain off as many blue one pl- blue cards as you have. And I think it was a player TMU on Magic Online had been messing with this with like Flood of Recollection and stuff. Like it was a weird combo, but it involved a ton of blue one-drops. He had wizard class, he had witching well. Trying to remember the other cards that were in that deck, but the top end was the blue defiler, flood of recollection, and like maybe omniscience, something like that. Most of the deck was single pip blue stuff. And it occurred to me like with Omen Hawker and training grounds, we now have a bunch of stuff that could work with that. And Nykthos was a big part of that plan as well, because you do have to like get up to six for in in that case, Flood of Recollection, or get up to five for the Defiler.
1: I think Flood of Recollection is not the card you're thinking of thinking like flood of tears or something
2: thank you flood of tears it bounces everything okay. and you, uh, you can put something into play flood of tears that's right
1: yeah return all non-land permanents to their owner's mm-hmm. hand
2: yeah so i'm just curious like if either the flood or the defiler like could be an interesting top end to support this combo that's mainly consisting of single pit blue cards
1: yeah, the problem is you have to pay Phyrexian mana, right? With the uh, with the defiler, so you you actually don't have infinite there, right? You you can only pay these blue cards for free, like nine times.
2: Correct. Yeah, it doesn't draw the whole deck or anything like that. It just puts you up a ton of cards, puts you up a ton right. of cards, and lets your next Nixos tap for like
1: twenty minutes. A zillion. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, I I really like that blue defiler. I like the idea of being able to go infinite with the uh, two fairies that blink each other over and over again. Um, and I think actually a really good card in that shell is the one mana artifact that has uh the channel ability, the five mana channel ability where it taps for a colorless if you tap it in a creature.
2: Oh, moon snare. Because that
1: actually sends you. Yeah, that sends you up a mana in the middle of your chain because you play it for Frexian mana.
2: Yes, that's it. That was one of the cards.
1: Draw a card, and then you, you know, you tap your <laughs> Defiler in that, and now you're actually up, and you can play a one and a blue spell if you want that.
2: Yeah, I mean, with Omen Hawker, that's like a decent channel cost. Three mana instant.
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, that, I guess that was my point is, now Omen Hawker turns that into like a three mana removal spell.
2: <laughs> so there's a lot here to play with. I'm not going to propose a specific list right now, but really fertile ground, I think exploration all right so that's a bunch of pioneer ideas bunch of pioneer ideas but we're not going to stop here we would be remiss if we did not mention the next deck (laughs) for which we have to dip back into modern this deck is the brainchild of felix slew who is x-file on magic online Uh, managed to take 12th place in a modern challenge with four omen hawkers and no sideboard I do not understand what happened to the sideboard. This was just like glitch or, but like everything else in the event, this is a modern challenge from May 19th. Every other deck had a sideboard. This one did not. (laughs) So maybe he just like found the perfect 60, registered it and went all the way to top 16 in this modern challenge. So David, walk us through this list.
1: Yeah. So as you point out, he has four Omenhawker. He also is playing four Ragaban because of course we're playing modern here um and then he has like a wizards package so he has one jace friends prodigy one snapcaster mage one Magus of the moon uh, and then he's playing step through so step through people remember briefly it had kind of a moment in the sun but the main thing it does is it wizard cycles for two mana so you can tap omen hawker to tutor your deck for a wizard uncounterably um and you can find it, whichever one of these wizards is relevant uh it has a lot of other cards that work with omen hawker so Not just a step throughs, but three shark typhoons. We mentioned those before. Muddle the mixture. We talked about before. So that's a card that lets you tutor anything that costs two. So your options are a bunch of those two mana wizards, counterspell, expressive iteration. You know, one of the better cards in the format. Uh, Muddle the mixture lets you tutor those. I mean, muddle the mixture is itself a counterspell. Um, There's a one of Sage's dowsing, which is a tutorable (laughs) wizard. It's a tribal wizard card. No way. Oh yeah, I've, I've played this card in casual a bunch.
2: Two in a blue, tribal instant wizard, counter-target spell, and lets his controller pace three. If you control the wizard, draw a card. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> well, that's, so, that's value. for five mana, you can <laughs> mana leak somebody and uh, and draw a card for your pleasure.
2: Gosh, the is not a wizard. It's an advisor. That's so upsetting.
1: Yeah, so, is Nibble Obstructionist a wizard? <laughs>
2: It is. That's a bird wizard. Okay. Yeah. So three copies of Nimble Obstructionist, three Shark Typhoon. There's stuff here. I mean, there's enough stuff to make the Omenhawker like value, give it that, that soul ring text. But boy, these are some weird cards.
1: Yeah, I thought maybe they'd have like uh an Urza's Saga like package. You pointed out that Omenhawker lets you pay for Urza's Saga. No dice there. There's only one Odawara. Uh, I guess it can also um, pay to sack your fiery islet. No creature lands. Um, so yeah, that's it. It's, it's just there to cycle stuff, basically. It's like a, a type of draw.
2: <laughs> I guess it can dash half of Ragavan. You'd still have to pay the red. <laughs> that's that's something. It's very, very weird. You wouldn't expect to see Omenhawker in Modern just because like one don't do well in that format. But nobody was expecting it, so
1: yeah, super cool list. I mean, uh, Felix Slew is an excellent player as well, so it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if I was to pick up this deck and I wouldn't do as well. <laughs> we'll just say that. Um, but yeah, it'd be really interesting to, to get. Uh, uh, it looks like he he's not on Twitter anymore. It'd be really interesting to like pick his brain on some of these choices and and to hear, you know, did you just win a bunch of games because ra- you played Ragavan on turn one, or was it like Omen Hawker was doing a lot of work? Right. It's it's yeah. so hard for us to know. All we see is. He went 5-1. He played a super cool deck. Um, like, is Nimble Instructionist Cycling really good? Uh, maybe. I don't know what it would be good against, but...
2: Fetchlands, I suppose, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's like
2: a one-mana Stifle up
1: with the Omenhawker. You could do it to turn two.
2: Yeah. Uh, gosh. All right, so that's a cool list. Um, and I will propose one, too while we're here. Because we've talked about... Urza's Saga, you mentioned that, as like a thing that Omenhawker can pay for. What would that look like? Urza's Saga plus Omenhawker would give you access to the constructs pretty quickly. Is there a duplicative effect of Omenhawker? Kind of, like Ethervile. Vial. Aether Vial is kind of a similar card to Omenhawker if you really squint, right? They're both mana engines that, in Ether Vial's case, it, it frees up your lands to spend on silly activations. Because the vile will like, cast your creatures, and the omen hawker does it in a different way, right? It provides mana to pay for as many saga activations as you want. There's a shell that has seen a little bit of success with Urza Saga and Vile. It's like an Asmo cookbook shell that I think Spy- aspiring Spike did a lot of work on. Fiend Artisan became like the important card to hold it all together. So Fiend Artisan tends to be like two mana intensive to be a good standalone card, but in Modern specifically, in Modern specifically, you can activate it X equals zero and just get Asmo. So it's like tap, pay one, sack anything to get Asmo, and that actually becomes a very good play. So the engine of the deck is Asmo, four Asmo, four Cookbook, four Vile, four Fiend Artisan, three Tyvars, Tyvars here to make the Fiend Artisan a little bit more reliable, a little bit faster, it can come back from the Graveyard. For it's a saga for Oval Chase Daredevil. So this is like how you're gonna win the games. You're gonna win by getting Asmo in play, getting Saga, getting your cookbooks, making gigantic uh, constructs, and throwing the food at, at their stuff. You still have a few thoughts left, and you need to make Fiendterson a little bit better. So you end up having the small sacrifice package with um, Blood Gas, with Priest of Forgotten Gods, and with Stitcher's Supplier. That's how Aspiring Spike put his package together. I'm going to include those for now. I'm not sure if that's, like, actually necessary. Like, the Hawker does pay for the Fienersen, but it doesn't work in any profitable way with the Citra Supplier or the Bloodghast. I'm actually more interested in Elvish Reclaimer. I've currently only got one on the list, but Elvish Reclaimer is a card that, you know, it, it finds your Urza saga, one of the most important cards here. It gets paid for in its entirety by Hawker, and I'm wondering if, like, that is enough to, like, make the Hawker worth it in a shell like this.
1: Yeah, that's super cool. Like, uh, I like that it pays for a reclaimer and then pays for the saga that it finds. So, like, all your other mana gets to do normal stuff. And then at the end, you just turn your, once you don't need the mana anymore from the Hawker, you just turn it into literally anything else with Fiend Artisan or Priest of Forgotten Gods.
2: Right. Like, here, we don't need that much from the Hawker. It's kind of like a bonus creature. Uh, I think Spike is playing, like, Unlucky Witness in his bonus creature spot. But the Hawker, you know, it takes you into blue. It it makes your cookbook a little more useful if you want to just like, trade a cookbook for a creature. Um, you can do that for half the cost now. You can crack a food for free. Equip a shadow spear for free.
1: Yeah. So you're you're adding the color blue just to play Omen Hawker. There's no other blue card, correct?
2: Uh, correct. At least as currently constructed.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I like it as a, as a concept. Um. I do like Fiend Artisan with Bloodgast as well, like, that is intriguing to me. Yeah, so And, like, just in general, like, Citrus Supplier is like a faux tutor for your Daredevils. <laughs>
2: right, sure. Exactly, exactly. Alright, so I haven't tested this at all, but um, this is how I would build Omenhawker in Modern uh, if I were forced to. I, I'm not Felix Slew, so I did not have the genius um, <laughs> wizard cycling package Uh, top of my mind, but I do think that there's something there with Urza Saga. And possibly Reclaimer and Fenerzan.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this week. I think this card's pretty sweet, and I think a lot of these decks are just really interesting. Um, And I also, at least in Pioneer, it's like not a good time to be proposing a deck with a lot of small creatures, because Mm. people are ready for Red-White Revoke. Um, And so I think the shells that are involving it as the only small creature like you're talking about Kind of put them in a bind where if our deck can function without it, that's good. And then if it functions with it, um, like, what are they going to take out all the removal? Well, then we've got this control shell built around it. So I I like that as an avenue in the very narrow short term in, in Pioneer.
2: Yeah, it should be a fun week. I'm looking forward to it. I've had these cards on the brain for like more than a month now. So excited to finally give them a try.
1: Excellent. Well, happy uh, hawking of omens to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) To the highest bidder, hopefully.
2: (laughs) All right. Thanks, David. Take care. All right. Take care. Decklists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. Tune in next week for our testing results, plus a look at new previews from Lord of the Rings. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.